one last time. This is Tournament in a Tea Break. You're listening to Ros Satar, Vicky Monk, and George Belshaw. It's been a long day, ladles <laughs> and jelly spoons, um, but we have our champion, and our champion is one Grigor Dimitrov. Um, great final. Great. Actually, you know, all things considered, with all the issues that the tournament had, this is probably the best outcome the, 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 the crowd could have had. What are your thoughts, lovely people? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a, a great final. It's definitely the most on the edge of my seat I've been for the title. Maybe that comes hand in hand with it being the final, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think Goffin did a great job to take a set. In that third set, at a point, I honestly thought it could go either way. Um, and just incredible grit from Goffin, I think. He's looked slightly deflated throughout the whole of this tournament. He's obviously starting to look pretty fatigued, and yet to come back and put on a performance like that was, yeah, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I thought after that 11-minute game in the, in the third set, the first game, I thought this could go one of two ways. He's either going to be knocking on the door for the rest of the set and then we'll finally get his chance, or he, that will have just been the last break. And it, I, it just felt like it was the last break. Once, once uh, Dimitrov got his nose in front, you never had a feeling that he was going to be caught again. No, but I liked Gopan's uh, positive attitude again. Like in that third set, the game before he actually lost the match, he was throwing his arms up in the air and waving yeah, the crowd on. And that, that was so out of character for Gopan, mm. like he's such a shy, unassuming bloke. But I feel in this tournament he's really just become this aggressive, evil tennis player who's really up for winning <laughs> matches and being a bit of a, you know, believing he can beat these big guys. And it's great to see because he's, he's actually showing he's got the game when he plays more aggressively to push harder. He's, he's, he's hitting that backhand more than, more like how Djokovic and Murray used to, really kind of pinging it back the other way rather than a bit more of a defensive push. And it's turning him into a superb player and his serves improved. He's going for it. It's great. So in terms of, I mean, Grigor said something that was um, quite telling, I think, when uh, when he was asked about, you know, the, the bad experiences that he'd had, I think it was in the middle of 2016, to, you know, to where he is now. I just had a quick um, peek through and he'd like fallen down to number 40 in the world. Um, and I think by the end of that year, he'd managed to crawl his way back into the top 20. Um, and that he needed the struggle. I mean, there's, a, there's certainly an element of him having grown up uh, a lot, um, I think, over this last year. Uh, what do you think you know, has made the difference for Grigor? Um, I think Valverde's appointment was a very shrewd one for him. Um, they seem to have quite a good bond. Valverde, in general, seems kind of a close age to the young players. There's not such a generational gap as mm-hmm. people like Becker with Djokovic or Lendl with Murray, where it's kind of like a mentor. It's more like a more close, tight-knit bond between friends who can just get him more comfortable. And I think Grigor really just struggled with the expectation of what was such obvious talent so early on. And, you know, told he would win Grand Slams, told he was just like Roger Federer. It's a lot to put on a kind of young guy, particularly after a breakout season in 2014. You never know what's happened behind the scenes. I'm pretty sure he'll have some great revelations a couple of years down the line. I won't libel the bloke, but I'm sure there's going to be some big books that are serialised on the Daily Mail or whatever. There he just reveals all the secrets <laughs> behind the scenes. He said he's going to write one, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. You know, I think we're going to hear some really interesting things about how his life kind of went off the rails, as it can yeah. often do for 
you know, young guys thrust mm. with big prize money, yeah. lots of imp bad influences around them, and the celebrity lifestyle or whatever. Um, but he's he just seems a lot more zen as a whole now. I mean, I chatted to him at Queens, and he kept going on about this. You know, it's not quite Conta's process, but it was more a kind of a general feeling of roundness in how he played tennis, just always focusing, being very kind of boring in some senses when it's kind of repetitive about what he believes, but he mm -hmm. seems to have a genuine Zen belief a la Djokovic that he goes on about, and it's, it's only good to see for him. I mean, I think the strength with Danny in particular is, number one, the age, for sure. Um, what Danny was absolutely expert at was scouting and, and finding the weaknesses in players. His, his scouting was amazing for Murray. But what I think he was weak at when he moved to um, Thomas was his um, insistence on the game plan. And it kind of took away from Burdish that, um, that instinct to play. Every, it used to frustrate the hell out of me that, you know, if Burdish had a big loss and we'd go and talk to him and he'd be like, oh, well, I was following the game plan. It's like, well, at what stage when it's not working do you think I need to abandon the game plan? Um, and I wonder whether they both actually grown in time because you know Burdish was a big appointment for Danny straight after uh, after Andy and there was a lot of focus on them obviously when they clashed at the uh, Australian Open and you know a, a lot of a lot of narrative about needle. I mean I don't think there was any needle and Andy was very very sort of um, blunt about that. But I, I get the feeling that Danny's grown as well with this whole. Um, this whole sort of process with with someone a lot younger. I mean, Verdi had been around the block. He'd already had a slam final um, under his belt, and he's a bit older. Um, you know, I think I think it's as much a win for him as it is for Grigor. And it was lovely to, to see that moment between them because I, I just feel that they've turned the corner. I think I think we could be looking at a very successful partnership next year. Yeah, I mean, pushing for Grand Slams. What do you reckon? I think so. I, I can't see why he couldn't. I mean, he came so so close in Australia. I remember sitting in my in my digs in in Melbourne, like literally screaming at the television. I'm sure, I'm sure the flatmates already thought I was psychotic because I was talking to myself doing tournament at tea break and match in a minute every morning. I think that probably thought that they tipped me over the edge, but he was so close. I wonder whether that's one of the matches that he was saying was one of his big I mean, regret is hard work, but one of the ones that got away. Yeah, he's uh, he's certainly capable of winning Grand Slams. I think next season about 15 players who could win Grand Slams if things fall their way. I think we're seeing a closing of the gap between the top and the little guys and that might, might sound a bit weird after Federer and Nadal have pretty much walked the majority of the slams but in the second half of the season I think age has kind of shown with those guys that they're going to struggle to do a full season and dominate and plus when you factor Murray and Djokovic in, plus when you factor Dimitrov's getting stronger every week, Zverev's getting better. Who knows how good Shapovalov's going to be? You know, there's suddenly all this great set of matches, and with Australia, the seeding is just being completely bloody nuts. <laughs> Anyone could go out at any point, and it just yeah. won't be a surprise. So, you know, Grigor could end up with the perfect run in Australia, for yeah. example. You know, you, and it suits him as well. He he does well. He he does well down under. I mean, do you remember where you know all the scoffing of Generation Lost Boys, um, of which Grigor, I think, you know, Grigor, Milos, Kanish Glory, all sat in that little clump. They, they were the chasing pack, and then they just got left behind by the big four, big five, if you include Stan. Do we feel that the Generation Lost Boy, well, <laughs> Lost Boys singular, is is you know, is on its way back up? 
Well, I mean, it's always been a bit of a weird, particularly when you look at Vavrinka, who really is the first guy to, even though he's in the Big Force generation, he's the first one to break yeah. through it properly. You know, and he didn't do it before he was 28, I think. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's two years for Grigor, that's two years for Milos, two or three years for Milos. You know, these guys have still got a couple of years to hit yeah. what is clearly a tennis player's prime right now, like that 20 to 30 period. So I don't think there's as much a rush. And what these guys might find is, okay, it might not be so obvious this season with like Milos and Kay, but you know, Murray, Djokovic, Nadal and Co, they've always played every week of every slam. It's no wonder their bodies break down like that. These guys do have weeks where they go out in the first round. They do yeah. have weeks where it is a little less strenuous. They're not all like Dominic team rushing through every tournament and playing as much. So they might find themselves having a little bit more of a peak beyond that up to a 31, 32. And by that time, they'll hope the others have kind of dropped off. Yeah. (laughs) But they'll be physically more developed than the young guys. We've spoken about Zverev's mental problems already at 20. There's a lot of pressure on him early on. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if people like Ryanich, Dimitrov, who knows, even Goffin can start picking up slams around that time. Well, let, I mean, let's turn our little attention to, to Goffin. I mean, you know, we've seen him kind of grow in, in stature. I mean, he's now got to lift himself up and do all this again for Davis Cup. But, you know, you've got to, want, you've got to think that he's going to go into France with a little bit of Belgian swagger now. Yeah, definitely. And um, obviously, this tournament has prepared him him well for that he's had two of the biggest wins two, the two biggest wins of his life um, and even you know this evening you could see that he'd he's kind of picked up this slight swagger as he's you know as George said turning to the crowd yeah. and I've never seen I've never, like that before I know before. I, I, I was agog watching <laughs> him um, so yeah I think he will be but again Combined with, I don't know how how much oomph he's got left in in his locker for, for next week, but definitely he'll be he'll be going in with, with, on an air of confidence. He's been he's had a fantastic tournament. His fight, his drive, his comebacks. I mean, yeah, it's been it has been great for him. What must the French team be thinking now? I mean, put well, that on an indoor hardcore. I know, I what know, to do right? Rush through this tournament to the final. I mean, you <laughs> they kind must of, be kicking themselves. You know, uh, no, maybe we should have a change to play. Huh? Yeah, I mean, they've got a good enough team to play on play. It seems a really odd choice for them. Um, the problem for Goffin is it's not all in his, in his own hands, of course. No. And the Belgian team is significantly weaker than France's. Yeah. As Federer said, you know, Goffin gonna... needs to win both those singles, but. You know, if he plays like this on an indoor hard, he'll beat both Songer and Pui easily, I think. Now, the the one the one sort of confession I have to make for the for the sake of the recording is I completely forgot to bring the predictions. So, my my quick glance showed that actually probably Vicky came the closest with um, with the predictions in that she at least got. One. Finally. <laughs> One right. So would you like to give your Oscar speech now? Oh, or, or would wow. you like to wait? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I didn't actually come all that close. When I said I only got one one game uh, wrong, it, it did uh, allow for a set swinging in a way <laughs> that I, I didn't predict. Um, yeah, no, finally. 
my predictions have been so wayward for the whole week. So I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to have you guys on the Prediction Challenge Cup because I think it's just going to be hilariously bad. Um. Well, you've seen how Man, well Man City are doing in the Premier League. I'm expecting a similar rise to the top for myself next year where I just sweep everyone aside. Oh, you know, it, was, it was a bad end to the season a la Federer, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'll be coming back strong and just taking the titles next year. I'll be winning the majors at least. It's been sweet relief for me today that George has not, <laughs> not materialised. I'm not sure I could have withstood anymore after the incident. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening and your patience with our incoherent ramblings late in the evening. Uh, and we will see you next year, hopefully, if we're all on speaking terms. <laughs> thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>